0: You're listening to episode number 14 of Strike the Match. This past week, Baptist Press released an article entitled, Southern Baptist Convention Reports More Churches, Fewer People. Within hours after its release, secular outlets across the country picked up this story and began reporting on its findings. In this podcast, I spend some time sharing some information regarding this article, some general observations, and some missiological concerns. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with Pastor and Missiologist, Dr. J.D. Payne. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. Guys, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Strike the Match. I hope that uh, your week is going well. Uh, I just finished a week of being the game coordinator for Rock the Block. Uh, A few years ago, uh, our church uh, decided to do Vacation Bible School for us uh, a little bit differently uh, in that uh, we wanted to to decentralize what we were doing and keep things uh, uh, very simple and more reproducible and uh, also reach more kids and free up more leaders. So we stopped having VBS uh, as one week uh, on our property and so uh, throughout the summer months uh, on any given week, we have several uh, backyard Bible clubs, vacation Bible schools, whatever you want to call it, uh, going on uh, usually outside of someone's home, uh, one of our church members' home, uh, somewhere across, uh, across our city of Birmingham. And so this past week, uh, Sarah and I were the game coordinators, and uh, I'm very thankful that my wife was a part of that because uh, she uh, put uh, some excellent games together. If it had been me, we would be playing games with very sharp objects, uh, and we would also be playing with open flames and aerosol cans. But uh, that did not happen. No one lost an eye. No one lost a limb, uh, thankfully, this week. And so uh, it was a good week uh, with Rock the Block. Um, On that particular note, uh, we have been giving away Uh, our uh, Rock the Block materials Uh, and John Tice, uh, our children's minister, and his team uh, put together our Rock the Block materials this year and we've been giving them away to churches uh, all across the world and so I want to let you guys know that, uh, Lord willing, I plan to do a blog post at jdpayne.org next week and uh, I will be uh, linking uh, you guys to our resources, and so you can take them and use them for your situation or uh, adjust them to to your context. Uh, and so, I want to be able to give uh, give that away uh, to you uh, as well. Hey, I also want to give you guys an update on my next book, uh, To the Edge. Uh, I shared an update with you guys, uh, I guess, a couple episodes ago. And uh, I want you to know that the day is getting closer, Lord willing. I'm really excited about this. In fact, I am holding right now, a draft copy of the book in my hands, Uh, and it's looking like uh, we'll have this uh, released probably within the next, I'm going to guess, three to four weeks, Uh, so hopefully pretty soon, uh, To the Edge, Reflections on Kingdom Leadership, Mission, and Innovation. I am extremely excited about this book. It is unlike any other book that I have written not only in the writing style but in the in the content as well as the format that i i have used in 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 sculpting this this book and i hope that you will get a copy of of to the edge i hope that you will mark it up and highlight it and write all kinds of things in the margins and then give your copy away to someone else uh, or buy a copy for someone else or others on your leadership team so you guys can get together and uh, read some of these matters and uh, challenge one another uh, with so, some issues related to uh, the big topic that I'm talking about in this book, and that is that is the matter of change. Uh, as As we move forward uh, in this Great Commission activity that uh, we're called to and the Spirit leads us uh, into realms that require innovation, uh, we're going to change and we're going to experience change. And so uh, this book is uh, hopefully going to serve as a catalyst uh, for you and for for your churches to not only uh, take you to the edge, but encourage you to take that next step to go even beyond the edge. So keep an ear out, and I'll be updating you guys as time gets closer for for the release of the book to the edge, but really excited about this uh, this this summer and that coming out. So, topic of today's podcast um, yesterday uh, was June the tenth, June tenth, twenty fifteen, and uh, report came out from Baptist Press, which is the topic of our uh, conversation uh, in this episode, and that is uh, the article written by Carol Pipes uh, titled, uh, SBC, Southern Baptist Convention, Reports More Churches, Fewer People. And uh, the the article is no surprise to those of us uh, that uh, have been tracking uh, numbers and realities within our denomination for some time. Uh, but I want to, to share uh, some comments or some thoughts with you about this particular article, uh, sharing some content of what's found in this article, uh, but also uh, some, some thoughts that, uh, um, that really will be sort of affirming the obvious, I think, at, in, at some level. But at the same time, I want to make uh, some, some general missiological thoughts uh, as well. Uh, if you have not had a chance to read this article, you need to check it out. Go to bpnews.net. bpnews.net, SBC reports, More Churches, Fewer People by Carol Pipes. It was only within hours after this uh, was released yesterday that, that uh, secular media sources uh, picked this up all over the country, and it was in, in a multitude of places in a very short period of time. And um and so let me just go ahead and jump in and kind of get started with with, with this. Uh, but let me make one more disclaimer, one more kind of kind of disclaimer. Um, you're listening and maybe you're not a part of Southern Baptist Convention. I want to encourage you to even listen to the rest of this podcast because I think it will be of value to you. Uh, I saw on Twitter uh, just yesterday uh, an individual who um, made a comment on this uh, this, um, This article that came out, uh, and he uh, was with the Assemblies of God, and and made a very important statement in that he said, uh, asking people within his denomination, you know, what uh, what can we learn as uh, as the Assemblies? uh, What can we learn from what Southern Baptists are experiencing right now? What what implications may this have for us, and what can can we need, or what do we need to be thinking about in days to come? And so, so my hope to you is, even if you're a part of a different denomination, or maybe you're non-denominational, that you will. You will also listen uh, to the rest of, of this podcast. So, so with that in mind, um, let me share with you a verse from Proverbs. Proverbs chapter twenty-five, verse eleven, and uh, the writer of Proverbs makes this statement. Uh, he says, "A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver." Proverbs chapter twenty-five, verse eleven. I share that with you at the outset of this uh, discussion because whenever you have information that comes out like what was contained or what is contained in this article, uh, you quickly have, or usually have uh, very quickly, uh, people that want to jump on this issue and and be extremely critical. Uh, They want to criticize uh, they, 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 you know, they, they were mean-spirited, angry, uh, you know, and obviously not everyone out there that's making commentary on this uh, is falling into that boat, but there are a lot of people out there that are doing that, and, and I do not want this to come across at all uh, with me being, uh, sounding like I'm in that vein. Uh, I really, really want... Uh, my words in this podcast to be fitly spoken, that, they, that they, would, they would be as apples of gold in a setting of silver rather than, than uh, the, just the opposite. Um, I speak as an insider. Uh, I, uh, I am very proud uh, to be an insider. I am a fourth-generation Southern Baptist. I've shared that on numerous occasions, and very proud of uh, that heritage that is there. Uh, Southern Baptists have 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 been the means, have been the the channel by which the Lord has extended His grace to me, and not only to me, but others uh, that uh, came before me and my, my family. And so, I'm very proud, very thankful to be to be a Southern Baptist. I uh, uh, I was called to serve in my first uh, church in 1995. I was pastoring a church in Winchester, Kentucky back in 1995, and so I've, I've served and been a part of Southern Baptist churches uh, f- uh, for 20 years now, and, um, uh, and, and, and presently church that I'm a part of right now, the Church of Brook Hills. We are a Southern Baptist church. We're involved in, in Southern Baptist uh, work in North America and throughout the world uh, and in our own association as well. I did uh, two of my uh, two of my degrees uh, at, uh, at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. So I did my MDiv there, did my PhD work there, and then uh, I spent 10 years uh, on faculty uh, at Southern as well. I, I taught there as an associate professor for, for a decade. And even during that period of time, nine of those 10 years, I was uh, appointed as a national missionary with the North American Mission Board of the Southern Baptist Convention. So I, I say all that to say to, to, to you that um, I'm speaking as an insider and I'm speaking as an insider who is very thankful, very proud to be a part of, of, of this tribe uh, even with all of the concerns that are out there and there are many issues that weigh heavily on my heart and they've been on my heart for a long time long before this article even came out and so uh, it's important for you to know my background as you hear me speak uh, as we move forward When you begin to look at this article, what do you see? Well, you see that the number of cooperating Southern Baptist churches in our convention, in our denomination, we we, we increased uh, by 374 churches, uh, and that's been an increase over the past 15 years. However, though we saw that increase in churches, we lost. We lost more than 200,000 members. It's the biggest one-year decline since 1881. We also saw decline in average attendance, and also in baptisms, and also uh, in our missions giving uh, as well. The membership of our denomination uh, fell by one and a half percent. It is now down to 15 and uh, clearly making us the largest Protestant uh, denomination in the United States. And uh, even though we have 15 and members, the reality is, is that Worship attendance does not reflect that. In fact, worship attendance is also down on average. But even the average worship attendance, listen to this, the average worship attendance uh, is uh, is about 5.7 million Sunday worshipers. I mean, so, so you know, being generous, we round up to 6 million uh, worshipers on any given Sunday are in Southern Baptist churches or gathering with Southern Baptist churches, uh, that's a big discrepancy. That's almost 10 million people between the numbers that we have as uh, tallied members, if you will, and those that are gathering for worship. Um, The reality is, is that we're not as big as we think we are. Uh, it's, just, it's just not there. Um, I do still believe that we're, we're the biggest denomination, the largest denomination, uh, because other denominations uh, have very similar reporting mechanisms in place, very similar uh, margins of error in their, in their calculations and in their, their accounting. Uh, but uh, the reality is is that we're, I still think we're the largest, but we're not as big as we think we are. And I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Let me talk about baptisms for a second. Baptisms declined for the third year in a row— although the rate held steady, according to Carol Pipes in this article, uh, with one baptism for every 51 members. So in any given year, it takes 51 Southern Baptists to reach one person for Jesus and see them baptized. It's That's a terrible ratio, but that is the reality in which we find ourselves. Um, churches recorded about 5,000 fewer baptisms, a, a decrease of uh, about 1.6%. Uh, in 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 last year and reported baptisms have fallen eight of the last ten years, uh, with last year's l- last year's count of baptisms. So in 2014, last year's count of baptisms was actually the lowest total that we've ever had since 1947. Since 1947, uh, missions given has decreased. Uh, it's decreased by almost five percent. And even though it's decreased by only f- by five percent, um, th- the amount. Is, is still a very large amount of money, $1.2 billion of uh, Southern Baptist dollars going to mission expenditures. Again, I'm going to come back to that in a second when I'm talking about the issue of size. Um, and, you know, it's, the numbers are probably higher than that when it comes to giving. We actually have some, some state convention of churches that do not uh, give account uh, of, of that particular area related to missions expenditures. So that number is probably, probably actually higher. So, so let me let me just kind of make some general uh, kind of uh, thoughts and uh, and again, as I mentioned a moment ago, some of this is affirming the obvious, but I also want to make some general thoughts on on some some missiological matters uh, because of the nature of this podcast, because of the reality of the world in which we live, where there's. Uh, there are four billion people in the world who have no relationship with Jesus. Seventy-five uh, percent of the United States no relationship with Christ. Eighty percent of Canada no relationship with Christ. And so, so given given these realities within my denomination, within my within my denomination, uh, let me share some thoughts thoughts with you guys uh, at this point in time. The reality is is that when you're this large, when you when you are this large, it takes a long time it takes a long time to feel the shifts that are around you that are occurring uh, in other words what we're reading about in this article that came out yesterday th- this is nothing new for us that have been 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 tracking this for some time this has been going on uh, for a lengthy period of time and and the reality is is that the bigger you are it is the 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 less likely you are to feel the, 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 the shifts to feel the rumbles to feel the shake if you will uh, the tremors the the issues that that are that are moving around beneath your feet you know imagine imagine you're in choppy waters in the ocean and you're in a boat but imagine that that boat is actually a cruise liner and that cruise liner has got its baffles under the water and and the and the, the waters are choppy well you're going to feel the 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 shifting of the of the water uh, around and under that boat differently if you're in that same water and you're actually in a canoe and so you know you're going to you're going to experience that differently our size has allowed us for many years to absorb uh, some of the shock, some of the blow, if you will. And, and the reality is, is because of the size, uh, the, the Southern Baptist Convention is not on life support. Uh, in other words, you, you hear from some guys, you, you think about some of these issues, and you begin to think, oh, well, you know, Southern Baptists are, you know, three weeks from now— they're going to be gone. You know, Southern Baptists, they're on life support, uh, you know, five more years, and, you know, the denomination will cease to exist. The denomination's do- hemorrhaging in this area of, of members. And and granted, it, the issue is, is very significant and very severe, but the issue is not to the degree, because of the size that we're talking about, that the... The, the Southern Baptist Convention is just going to go away in a very short period of time. Unless something catastrophic happens, unless some cataclysmic act occurs, unless the Lord comes back, uh, I do not see the Southern Baptist Convention uh, ceasing to exist any time in the very near future. Second thing that is worth commenting on at this point in time is that if you begin to, to track it out just logically— the implications on a denomination as a whole, across across a denomination, with all of its organizations and structures, its agencies, with its, its institutions. Track out the logic with me. If you are experiencing a decline in baptisms, you are eventually going to be experiencing across the board less members in churches unless, and this is not happening, unless you're just experiencing an enormous amount of transfer growth and all your churches are growing because you're swapping sheep or actually stealing sheep from uh, other people that are in the kingdom, Uh, unless you're reaching new believers and seeing them come to faith in Christ, then your membership is going to begin to diminish. It's going to begin to dwindle. It's going to get less and less and less and less, and that's been happening for some time. If you have less members— then you typically will end up having churches that are going to be financially giving less money to denominational causes. Now, within our denomination there is no hierarchy, no group, no president, no organization that oversees, no board, no agency that oversees and tells Southern Baptist churches what to do. Uh, we're a voluntary group. We we, volunt- we we agree to cooperate. We agree to come together and partner especially on issues related to theological education and in missionary activity, both domestically and internationally. And so you've got churches that make their own decisions when it comes to what they're going to do with their financial resources. And so if you are in a denomination that is made up of congregations such as the ones I just mentioned, and they are going through loss of members, they're experiencing all these difficulties, all these these matters that are taking place right now, uh, many of them are shifting into survival mode. And the thought of sending more money on to a central location that will then in turn take that money and distribute it to mission agencies, to theological institutions, to other organizations within our convention, within our denomination. Uh, that, that begins to bear on people's mind. And they begin to think, well, we probably need to keep these resources here for us because, after all, we are in a survival mode. And so what begins to happen? Well, obviously, you begin to, to feel the impact of that in your mission agencies, in your theological institutions, in other agencies that are connected with the convention. But you have to understand about Southern Baptists. We have created these structures. We have created a culture that we believe in, in which we are supporting these agencies, these institutions, to partner with us, to work with us in our Great Commission task, in our equipping work. And so when you create that culture, there is this expectation that they're going to take the lead in this. Now, I'll, I'll refrain from commentary on that at this point in time uh, about the strengths and the limitations, but you create a culture that says that they're going to take the lead on this, and, and therefore we expect them to 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 do this for us or at least hold our hands and lead the charge for us. And therefore, if you begin to shut off your resource supply to those entities that you have agreed to come alongside of you and work with you in these endeavors, when you begin to shut off that valve, then it's going to be felt on their end, which will in turn come back and will be felt in the local church as well, in areas particularly related to missions and related to our theological training. So so with this in mind... that's just just an issue that I don't think many Southern Baptists are thinking about, that decline in baptisms ends up trickling down uh, on the financial level of impacting uh, what we're doing across the globe, what we're doing domestically in our equipping and in our mobilization. The other thing that I think is important for us to recognize is the truth of the matter, that there will be many churches— in our convention, in our denomination that will cease to exist in days to come. in 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 the, in the near future, there will be many churches that will cease to exist in days to come. And there are a lot of reasons. there are a couple of reasons I'll just toss out at you. One, we see, as, as just a few weeks ago, Pew Research kicked out, the growth of, of the nuns, people with no religious affiliation whatsoever, and those that are, are you know, the, those that are being more nominal in their expression, and those that are being more nominal in their expression, shifting to becoming not considered or not considering themselves a part of any faith tradition. So you begin to have people that are once members in churches, once on the roll, so to speak, nominal in their Christianity, uh, disappearing. Uh, you know, you know, uh, falling away, so to speak, and 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 shifting into the category of not being uh, considered uh, uh, an adherent to the Christian faith at all. That's happening. It will continue to happen. The other thing is, is that in our churches, in most of our churches, we have this ecclesiology. We have this ecclesiology that believes if we can't keep our lights on in our building, then we can't be a church. If we can't. Uh, if we can't afford or have a pastor in the traditional understanding of a pastor even if he's bivocational then we can't be a church in other words because there will be churches that cannot afford to pay their utilities cannot afford to keep their their heater and electricity running so to speak they will begin to think we can no longer be a church and they will cease to exist they will they will they will go away they will disappear now the reality is is that there are churches that are in in, in situations that I think that they do need to cease to exist. There are deep sin issues there, unrepentant hearts, a multitude of other matters that, again, I don't have time to delve into in this, in this podcast, but that is the reality. There will be many churches that will cease to exist uh, because they cannot afford uh, to keep their lights on uh, in their building. The other thing that I think we need to keep in mind as well is when we begin to think about this issue of shifts and changes within our denomination, we, we have got to make certain that we are not engaging in a survival mentality. In other words, believing that that we have got to hunker down and we've got to become inwardly focused and we've got to fixate on our, on ourselves. We need to have what I've advocated for many years. We need to have Evolution, not disillusion. In other words, we don't need to have the dissolving, the dissolving of, of the structures, the organizations, the things that are already in place, but we need to have an evolution in the way that we go about doing what we do. Change is going to have to happen at all levels within our denomination at the local church level, to various agencies and organizations across our denomination. We have a general culture and models for doing, for example, missions at home and abroad and also theological education. These models and this, this, this general culture were designed for a day long past, and these models did very well. Society has shifted. It's shifted on a global scale, not only on a domestic scale, but on a global scale, and now even on a domestic scale within our own local churches and in the communities in which our churches meet. Society has shifted, and but but here's the issue. We're still operating from the same general culture of expectation— meaning expectations of of, of yesteryear, of the way you're supposed to do ministry, and the way you're supposed to think about the context in which you're doing your ministry, whether it's home or abroad. We're still operating from the same general culture of expectation, and we're still operating from the same structures. And so when I say we need to have evolution and not dissolution, it's not that you go in with a wrecking ball and discard all the things, but we're going to have to shift, we're going to have to change, we're going to have to evolve in the way that we think about how we have been doing missions at home and abroad and how we've been doing theological education. So I'll just throw out some ideas uh, with you. Again, some of this is just stating the obvious. Uh, Some of this are just some missiological thoughts. None of these things that I'm saying. Now, these things that I'm saying in, in this podcast are are how to fix this issue, or how to, how to solve the, the problems that are out there. I don't claim to have those answers, but I do want us to begin to, to think and have conversation on some things that I think many people have not been talking about within our denomination. We do need to have, for example, we do need to have within our churches— this disciple making culture. We need to have an emphasis on disciple making culture. We don't have a missional theology behind what we're doing uh, for the most part across the churches within our Southern Baptist Convention. Uh, we 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 talk about making disciples, we talk about evangelism, things of that nature, but we don't have this real this disciple making culture even all the years that we've been talking about it. It's just not there. The other thing is is that we need a culture within our churches and across our, across our convention. Again, when I'm saying change, change happening at all levels, disciple-making culture at all levels. We need to have at all levels this understanding of, of raising up young adults to obtain marketable skills and marketable degrees. In other words, they need to not only have this disciple-making culture, but also this value that you can go out and you can be a church planter. You can be a lead church planter, for some of you that like that terminology. You can be a lead church planter, and you can be a mechanic, and you can stay in your job in the marketplace, and you can make disciples, and you can plant churches at home or abroad. You can, you can go out and you can pastor a church. You can pastor a church and you can remain as a school teacher, and you can pastor this church and you can lead it in the direction of revitalization. In other words, we don't have, we don't have that culture. We do have, I think, a culture of bivocationalism in, in a lot of parts within our denomination. But we need to build that out and we need to have this culture that parents need to think in terms of how can I best raise my children, not only to catch a vision for the Great Commission and God's glory among the nations, but how can I instill within them in them the stewardship of obtaining marketable degrees and marketable skills that will best position them as global disciple makers, whether it's at home or whether it's abroad the other thing i mentioned is the issue of an emphasis on, on on revitalization i mean that's something that is huge and that's something that i am encouraged to hear in, in that's happening i'm not very encouraged in in some of the methodologies that i'm seeing out there hearing about out there and strategy that i'm hearing and seeing out there i, I did a podcast or excuse me i did a blog post um uh, Some time back, uh, earlier this year, of what we're doing with the Church of Brook Hills when it comes to revitalization, uh, but it's but it is different. It's different than than what I'm seeing that's out there. But we need to have we need to have that emphasis on revitalization. Some of our churches will not be revitalized, but there are a lot of churches I think that do need to be revitalized, and that's and that's going to to be a significant I think a significant component in days to come in our local churches, as well as in our seminaries when it comes to preparing men for pastoral ministry, to place an emphasis on an area of ministry that we have not thought about in a long time. When you're looking at 90% of your churches declining already, 9 out of 10 guys Nine out of 10 guys that you're sending out uh, to go into established churches, whether they're coming out of your church and you're raising them up and, and sending them out, or whether they're, they're graduating from your seminary and going out, you, you know, 90% of those guys that are going out, they're going into churches that are already in need of revitalization. So, so this is a huge issue that we need to pour more energy and effort into. The other issue that we need to pour more energy and effort into in a shift that needs to happen in all levels is 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 really the area of, of church planting being more apostolic, being more missionary, and being less pastoral. Uh, in other words, we've got the structures in place, we've got the heritage, we've got the context, we've, we've got the background, if you will, to do church planting primarily through a pastoral lens. But when we look at the New Testament, we see churches being birthed out of the harvest, meaning 100% conversion growth meaning that the church planning teams never functioned as a, as a permanent fixture. They always existed as a scaffold to, to make disciples out of the harvest, to see those disciples gathered together to be local expressions of the body of Christ, and then in turn would raise up elders out of those people, would appoint elders out of those churches. Acts chapter 14 and then Titus chapter 1 verse 5. Titus, the reason I left you on Crete was to put things that remained in order and to appoint elders in every town. In other words, we have got to allow that to permeate what we're doing at all levels. When you talk about Southern Baptist work outside of North America, we're all cool. We're all there. We're, we're right there with that issue. But we've got to understand that biblically and missiologically, uh, th- we we do not need to, to leave that apostolic approach behind when we fly across the ocean and come back to North America. In other words, we've got to recognize that in North America, we are the third. The United States is actually the third largest country in the world when it comes to the number of unreached people groups. Canada is at number five. So you're looking at 360 unreached people groups in the United States, 180 in Canada. And, and putting us in the top five, we've got to recognize the need— to be more apostolic in what we do in our own backyard. The problem has been is that we don't operate out of a missiology that supports that. Uh, In other words, we've developed structures and plans and strategies of yesteryear for doing ministry through a pastoral approach when a society then in turn shifts and it really becomes a context in which the approach needs to be more apostolic. The society shifts, the needs shift, but the church, the church structures, the church expectations, the church cultural expectations, the mission agency expectations, still remain in the pastoral vein. You have a significant discrepancy between the two. And the challenge for us in days to come is how, how in your own backyard do you continue doing church revitalization, emphasizing church health, and at the same time placing an emphasis on apostolic work, missionary work, in your own backyard that is truly apostolic in its approach to church planting and not just in name only. Finally, guys, I'll leave you with one last thought, and that is matters related to theological education. In other words, change must happen in in that realm as well. Uh, and again, keep in mind, I've spent much of my life in the academy, and I continue to to teach at a couple of, uh, of seminaries and continue to remain in professional societies and and, and write, and, and so my heart is there. But guys, we've got to recognize that some of the things that have shifted, some of the things that are out there, some of the things that are needed in our churches and in the mission field are not necessarily the things that accreditation agencies are really concerned about. And we're going to have to, to, to have a serious conversation about whether or not having that stamp of approval. And I hate to even—it's hard, it's hard for me to even say this, but I hate to even say this. But we, we have to ask ourselves, is that stamp of approval from accrediting agencies that say to universities and colleges in the secular vein, you are legitimate, is that the same governing bodies that we want to be putting parameters around us in what we can and what we cannot do? I think theological education needs to be more practical in its orientation. Uh, I think a three-year program that is that is elevated as the Cadillac in which uh, you need to walk through is too long. And I believe that we need to begin to hire more uh, theological practitioners, people that are outstanding theologians and outstanding practitioners uh, as well. Uh, and again, I, I love the academy. I love to, to read and write academic-type works. But the reality is that, guys, we, we we have needs that are out there. The context in which we find ourselves is is serious and significant. And the model that was developed and existed and did really, really well for 500 years is not the model that we continue to need today. Guys, I hope that this has allowed you to have some thought about this issue. And, um, hey, send me an email, jpain at brookhills.org. I'd love to hear from you. Uh, share this uh, with others in your circles of influence. I hope it's uh, generated some thought for you, some things to ponder, think about, and pray over. Thanks, guys, so much for checking out Strike the Match, and uh, we're willing. look forward to being with you in a future episode. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. Payne. You can find J.D. on Facebook or follow him on Twitter at JB And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, and we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.